Hello and welcome to the Global Reinsurance and Insurance Download or GRID for short. The GRID is a podcast powered by Eames Partnership in which some of the world's top insurance and reinsurance executives discuss the secrets of their success. This month, our podcast series celebrates pride by bringing together some of the LGBTQ plus community from within the reinsurance and insurance market and asking them some insightful questions, such as how companies can make themselves more inclusive to this community, whether HR boards should include a specific LGBTQ plus representative and where they stand on the publicly publishing your pronouns debate. I'd like to say a huge thank you to all of our contributors for taking part in this series and thanks in particular to Inclusion at Lloyd's and Link, the LGBTQ plus insurance network, for all their help and support in bringing this podcast together. To kick things off, I asked our panel if they could explain how they define an inclusive workplace. Here is David Anderson, partner and the head of US Cyber at McGillan Partners. For me personally, Charlie, I think it's... You have to do a couple of different things to make a workplace feel inclusive, but also actually be inclusive. Um, In the the U.S., at least from my experience, companies that make sure that they offer benefits that might contemplate LGBT life situations, right? Whether it's domestic partner coverage or extending sort of uh, life insurance policies to um, a domestic partner, you know, instead of just having to be married, uh, those definitely make people feel more comfortable and welcome just straight off the bat walking in the door. You know that your your lifestyle outside of work is taken seriously and you're on the same level as your peers and your coworkers in terms of the benefits that you're getting. Um, once you're in the door, uh, I think it's very important that organizations make sure that every employee understands that above all else, you know, this organization is a meritocracy um, I, it might work a little bit differently for nonprofits or for government for government entities, but I've always worked in private enterprise, and the goal was always to make money, and I don't think there's any shame in that. Um, but what I've really found is that companies that make sure that every employee understands that the opportunity is theirs for the taking and that there will always be support and help for those that raise their hands, um, then you really you really develop a culture of inclusivity. Uh, And we're sort of, you know, the old uh, cliche rising tides lift all boats. So an inclusive meritocracy, I think, is is critical to make sure that your employees feel like they have a route upwards uh, and and have the tools and support to do so. And then the last thing I would say in terms of making workplace inclusive is is very, you know, it's a delicate balance, I think. But making sure that you encourage people to not make assumptions about others within the firm. Right. Um, I think a lot of people are their first reaction is to make an assumption about someone's experience or who they are. And I've found as I've, as I've gotten older in life uh, that actually, if you give everyone the benefit of the doubt, regardless of it's them having one bad day or a bad month, or you, there's just a part of their life that you feel like they always hold back from you, there's probably a reason. And that reason almost certainly doesn't involve you or isn't personal. And it's probably more something going on with the other person. So if you create a culture of, you know, being empathetic and being socially aware, whether it's training or or networking or, or whatever it might be, I think just having a more empathetic workforce tends to really have a positive impact on how inclusive people feel uh, in the office. That point about not making assumptions was echoed by Eric Johnson, the newly appointed active underwriter for MIC Global Syndicate 5183. 
it, it that's it's a really difficult one um, because I I pretend like it's simple, you know. So it's a workplace where people feel comfortable, where people feel included. But it's how do you describe that to people? So how do you act inclusively? And I think well, you you ask questions, you know, you listen. And I think most importantly, it's it's don't be a jerk. But realistically, that if we all did that, there'd be world peace. So it's actually not that, it's actually not that simple, um, because we're all busy, so we don't listen, right? Um, we don't ask questions; we make assumptions, and then um, you know we're not very empathetic with each other. And that that's in so many. And even if one of those little things breaks down, something's not inclusive. So I think those are the things you need to do to be in, have an inclusive work culture. Which is why, actually, I think it's it's not as easy as just as just being a good person because we we all want to be good people, but we're all not always good people. For Teresa Farrenson, customer experience and integration leader, Aon, true inclusion is driven by company culture. You can have inclusive workplaces, uh, uh, processes, and procedures, um, and you know all the most fabulous ones under the sun. But if they are being ignored, then your workplace isn't inclusive. Um, Fundamentally, the workplace, firstly and foremostly, has to feel safe. So your employees need to be able to come to work uh, and perform to the best of their abilities and go home feeling good about that. And that means, you know, uh, not feeling like they are subjected to bullying, harassment or just simply feeling othered. Um, so that's kind of, in my mind, the basics and then, you know, the next level on the maturity curve is to create an environment in which those people, you know, we can all flourish um, and be treated and respected as individuals and, and bring the best of ourselves to the workplace. Because therein lies, you know, the, the really, you know, the real secret source about how to maximise the human potential in your organisation. And for Adam Triggs, Chair of Pride and Allies at Lloyd's. It's all about ensuring DNI efforts align with the organization's purpose and strategy. I think it can't just be a pet project. So it's got to be with important within the organization all the way up to the top and, and the strategy. Um, and I think then separating out diversity and inclusion. So I think for a lot of companies, it's easy to get caught up in diversity. So, you know, numbers, targets, the makeup of your board, etc. But that's not necessarily going to equal inclusion. Um, and I think, um, you know, there's a famous quote by someone called Vernon Myers, and I'm sure you've heard of it. You know, diversity is being invited to the party, but inclusion is being asked to dance. And I think the first time I heard that, it resonated quite a lot because I think so much effort goes to kind of bring in diverse groups in. But unfortunately, if it's not inclusive, what's going to happen is those people will either be disengaged or they're going to lose your um you know, leave your organization. So, you know, if you've got LGBT employees in your organization, great. If you've got ethnic minority employees, brilliant. But if you're not making it inclusive environment for them, then it's it's not really going to make a difference. I went on to ask our podcast guests if they could think of specific actions at their current or former employers, which had driven improved inclusion outcome. Here's Teresa Farrenson again. Well, I think the key thing is, is that organisations should be taking it seriously you know not just creating a diversity group for each of the three uh, protected characteristics characteristics but um but to sort of embed um initiatives throughout their organization so um the key thing i think that is a game changer is is, uh, is 
to collect data to be data driven because then again it shifts it away from you know nicely nicely be kind to people hr type thing to actual hard data about your organization about where it's performing um about where your diversity your diverse colleagues are in your organization both geographically and also throughout your your organizational roles um that can show you where you yeah and i think we've done it for 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 women a great deal um that's been perhaps easier one to tackle and has been supplemented by laws you know for equal play etc and reporting laws um but um you know to understand where you've got an absence of people a proliferation of people where people are dropping off see they're all at the bottom levels and nobody's being promoted and uh, you know and i think when you can be understand the structure of your organization in terms of its human capital then you can then you can really then start to take action uh relating to the point the, the, the pieces of um and the points that you discover in in that data um so first and foremost definitely gathering that data and reporting on that data um and then i think i think sharing your journey can be really powerful so what i mean by that is it's not just helicoptering in a random diversity event because it's pride for example and yeah people kind of say oh yeah i i understand why this is happening it's because it's pride but but there's no continuity there's no this is a step in our journey about how to make you know how to make us a more inclusive organization and um and you know to show the reflect on the steps in the past and and the 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 things that you're going to do next as part of your strategy to kind of make people realize it's a step in a journey rather than than just an isolated action because i think when it feels like it's an isolated action it feels like it's box ticking it's not relevant it's not relevant to um your organization strategy or beliefs or whatever it's just a random well that's nice thank you very much now i'll just go away and do my business just the exact same way as i ever used to so i think sharing that as you know your steps as part of the journey is 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 powerful and of course you know reviewing keep reviewing your 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 going having said it's not all about policies but reviewing policies and benefits and making sure that they are in line with current best practice you know i think sometimes we feel that we might struggle to get in the insurance industry you know uh, in that talent war we might be losing out you know we might have a bad rep or it's, sometimes it's perceived as that we're a bit dull um not the go to industry but you know why not if we if we provided you know top notch benefits then um then i think that can can um you know yield good talent and and create a better atmosphere and it's and it then you know if you're if you've got your culture right and it's supported by related um policies then then brilliant because you know things such as re-examining i think we get a bit uptight um about our dress codes and for a lot of people you know the way the way that we are being asked to dress in the workplace is prohibitive you know, it's generally very gendered and, and depicts, you know, men shall wear this and women shall wear that. And, you know, why, if you, I'm lucky, I, 
I can come to work in a trouser suit and nobody's going to bat an eyelid. But if a, a, a you know a person that you you think view as as male wants to rock up in a blouse, how would your organisation react? But it's not you know if a woman can wear it, why can't a guy? That point around data collection is often one that employers and their HR teams get nervous about. Nervous about what data they're allowed to collect, how long they're allowed to store it, and what terminology is okay to use, among other concerns. However, Teresa explained that being able to collect that data and share it back with your colleagues is extremely powerful in terms of making company efforts towards inclusion for the LGBTQ community more genuine. And the key to encouraging staff to disclose their information is proper communications around why you're collecting it and what you're intending to do with it. You're not suddenly going to like trying to depict that you've waved a magic wand and now you are the super inclusive company that you always wanted to be. You know, nobody's that naive to think that that's true. So to say, you know, we are on a journey, we have started you know, you know uh, invite feedback um you know it makes people feel part of that journey and it and then they are you know a going to be more likely to support you and give you the feedback that would help you adapt your language if if for example if that's part of part of you know what you're asking or um perhaps be more forgiving if it if it is, doesn't quite land as well as it might Right. And, and so I think um, bringing your organisation with you um, on, the, on that journey is, is always a positive step to make. And yes, it's regrettable that, the, you know, it, the first thing didn't land as well as it might do. But the, the response, your response to that, the organisational response to that to say, OK, let's gather, let's talk it through. Let's get a greater depth of understanding of why this is important and why it didn't land so well. And let's fix it. We all entirely buy into that because now we feel like we've, you know, done something to benefit the organisation and that makes us feel great. So, yeah, I know people can get anxious about it, um, but I really think there's no harm in starting and being genuine about that and let your colleagues help you. Lloyd as Adam Triggs is also a fan of collecting data as a proactive first step. At his company, that starts with a culture survey that measures people's experiences in the workplace. So at Lloyd's, we've got a culture survey, and that really measures the experiences of the people in the workplace uh, and allows us to kind of break that down by a high level, different demographic groups, uh, including things like social mobility, as well as obviously LGBT to identify really whether our practices are working for one population versus another and what are those experiences. So the first thing I would say is you've got to have the data uh, in order to make some of those changes and then drive, you know, uh, initiatives that drive inclusion. Um, I think from my own experience, there's probably, uh, and certainly the research that I did, there's probably three things that stood out as kind of having most importance. McGill's David Anderson advocates for employee resource groups being set up also known as colleague resource groups or affiliation groups. Most of the workplaces that I've been at had some sort of LGBT or, or pride related affinity or colleague resource group. And it just gives people a space to understand how to navigate. Every organization is like a different person. It has a different personality. It has a different construct. It has a different leadership, right? So in colleague resource groups for LGBTQ people or people of color or people with mental health or single moms, pick 
pick whatever your your spice in life is, for lack of a better word, to be able to meet with other people who are in similar situations so that they can help share ideas around moving up in the company, doing the right things to get noticed, et cetera, et cetera. Those colleague resource groups, I think, are really, really, really important spaces for employees to feel included and safe. And I also just think like it doesn't really cost any money to do that. So there's no disincentive for organizations to do that. And I think that's critical. Um, some of the other things that I've seen done, you know, in previous organizations is sponsorships, you know, working with communities or local nonprofits, right? Um, allowing the company and the organization to bring its employees along in volunteerism or philanthropy. That really, I think, validates the company's efforts and also gives a personal connection to the employee that's actually on the field and volunteering. So I think those definitely make uh, workplaces seem more inclusive and supportive. Um, and then just like little, you know, little things here and there, like celebrating, you know, Pride Month or Black History Month, uh, you know, on your Twitter handle, on your LinkedIn page, whatever it might be. People roll their eyes at that. I think it's I think it's something that just, you know, for the sake of what it is, a simple gesture, uh, I think it makes people feel like uh, they're included in their thought of. Lloyd Saddam Triggs also welcomed employee resource groups as a force for good, but noted that simply having them wasn't enough. They need to have true purpose and not just be a tick box exercise for your company. It can't just be a tick box exercise that you've got one within your organization. Um, how is it supported by the organization? How does it have a voice uh, into the strategy and the decisions made by the organization? Um, I think sometimes where it goes wrong, a lot of uh, employee resource groups um, become kind of a bit of a social uh, social event and community. And that is an important part of it, but it can't be the sole purpose. So I think, again, at Lloyd's, you know, we've, we've got quite an established employee resource group now, the Pride and Allies Network, to bring one example uh, that actually came within the last few months. So an employee came to us um, as a network to query why gender reassignment cover wasn't included within the medical insurance provision. Uh, we took that to our culture team to explore and to our reward leads, uh, which led to them kind of challenging the insurance provider about why this cover wasn't within our current policy and uh, made sure that it was included uh, for years to come. So had a direct impact on that, on that employee in particular, but obviously will hopefully have huge impact to those going forward. Adam also talked about the importance of visibility of role models and allies in an organisation and that this should be something that's done year round, not just during Pride. I mean, you can see here the rainbow lanyard, which you probably would have seen loads of these uh, in the city and beyond. Uh, they're quite popular now within organizations. But we've had quite a few employees tell us that actually seeing the lanyards um, in their managers, in their teams, actually is that kind of visible sign that we're serious about inclusion, uh, that they can actually have conversations with their manager. Uh, and for a number of people that, you know, they've come to the network and said, actually, this is the first place where I've been out kind of on day one uh, of an organization, which is great to hear. Uh, you can't just hand these lanyards out. So, you know, it needs to come with support to um, educate allies and what that means. Um, but certainly those kind of visible signs in an organization are what people are looking out for. And then I think the final piece that people mentioned was around policies. So, you know, I've just talked a little bit about the kind of inclusive uh, trans healthcare policy, but actually, you know, it was disappointing to hear that some of the experiences 
still with of people within the workplace within financial services as a whole is these kind of negative stories of you know inappropriate banter inappropriate behaviors where actually um you know people companies have policies but they tend to kind of try and sweep this under the carpet so you know it's good to have uh, policies it's good to have statements on your website about you know what you're doing for dni but actually if you're not creating uh, opportunities for people to report inappropriate behavior and comments and then to actually do something about it then again you're not going to drive an inclusive environment of course celebrating pride in times of pandemic and remote working has its challenges but some firms have used that situation as an opportunity to be more creative in their celebrations of the LGBTQ plus community. Here's MIC Global's Eric Johnson again. In my previous role, um, I think one of the things that we did, and it was it was during COVID lockdowns, <clears throat> and so we had we had offices uh, all across North America, in Europe, and Australia, and we were trying to figure out how to celebrate Pride and how to celebrate International Women's Day in a in a fun event. And, and what also educational, because we were just starting our, our sort of company's DNI journey. So we partnered with the LGBT Insurance Network Link, for instance, for Pride Month. And because we, we as a company hadn't even really started talking about LGBT inclusion. So we had a panel with people from across our different business units, but moderated by an external speaker from Link, so that you know, we're always on our best behavior when we're talking about our own company because, you know, we all work there and we like to get paid. But then having someone like you, for instance, right now, Charlie, asking questions as a, as a neutral party, you can, you can probe a bit more or you can summarize a bit more. And so the feedback we got in our chat was fantastic. The engagement, we had about 400 people participate asking questions. We had people moderating that chat. And then afterwards, the feedback we got in writing was, it was really authentic. It was really honest. Um, and people people felt safe asking questions, which I was intrigued about because you could ask questions on the live video. But we got phenomenal engagement in the chat where I think people felt somehow safer asking what they might think is a dumb question. And then we had people moderating the chat. Um, and I think that's something that's something we carried for when we did International Women's Day. We did a, a similar kind of format: people telling their own stories about what it was like to be a woman in in the workplace of different of different stages in their careers. But when we had the hybrid virtual chat live thing, it was fantastic. That's all we've got time for in this episode. But please do join us for the next one in this Celebrating Pride series, where we'll be asking our panelists about mistakes often well-meaning employers make when it comes to LGBTQ plus inclusiveness and where they stand on the need or not to go public with their pronouns. Thanks for joining us. And please do share this pod with your friends, colleagues and bosses. 